Hello, Internet. You are listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we are unearthing deep cuts and forgotten stories in Spider-Man lore. Our goal is to find these lost gems and share them with you as we discover what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. And today, I have a special co-host. If you could introduce yourself... Hello there, I'm Glenn Matchett. I am a comic book fan from Northern Ireland. I've been a Spidey fan for the majority of my life, from the, the, wee, the beginning of the wee days of the 90s Spider-Man cartoon and going from there. I think that's the story for uh, most of the people listening to this podcast, yeah. unless they're just younger and they weren't around for it at the time. Yeah, well, like my um, my initial kind of way in was... I was fascinated by the mystery of the hobgoblin on the t- on the cartoon and who it was. Um, yeah. And then when I was in I was in America when I was like eleven, was it about eleven or maybe a bit younger, maybe a bit older? And I was in uh, like a superstore. I believe it may have been Walmart. I don't know. We don't have Walmart here. And they had a comic spinner and they had some trades. And one of the two of the trades I got were Essential Spider-Man Volume Three. Um, and for those that don't know, the Essential line were like big, massive collections of old comics for really cheap because they were in black and white. And that was kind of volume free collected around the 50-ish mark of the Lee Romita senior run. And uh, also a trade paperback, Hobgoblin Lives. And that prompt, that book promised to tell you who finally who the Hobgoblin was. But the, the problem was with that was that it was normal Spider-Man continuity. So he was married to Mary Jane and he was talking about that. Minnie also spoke about them having a kid that had died and all this stuff. And I was like, what the hell's going on? Um, but also reading um, Stan's run around that uh, era was like, wow, this, this stuff's a bit, you know, uh, <clears throat> old timey but it's brilliant and that's kind of it everything's just kind of spider-man wise has bled from there well and if you're reading hobgoblin lives at the time along with everything else in spider-man you'd have a heck of a time following it anyways so yeah well well thankfully the um the back of the trade basically tells you how what issues the character appeared in and what they did to like like mm-hmm. what Roger Stern, who was the, the creator of the character and the writer of this miniseries, how he like plotted out how the mystery worked originally. Uh, you know, it's, it's a much more complex story. Uh, how it actually earned, turned out and how why he had to be brought back to like solve the mystery after what twenty years or whatever it was at the time. Uh, but basically, it's like in this issue, uh, you know, this happens with Hobgoblin and it's and um, Roger Kingsley is also in the issue, but it's actually Daniel in disguise and all this stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of where I started off, and I I had to get every hobgoblin. I I like started the story at the very Christopher Nolan of me. I started the story, the hobgoblin story, the actual six sixteen hobgoblin story, like at the end or near the end, as the characters come back. But the mystery at the end, or like work my way back. So I read a, a lot of Stern, Romita Junior stuff then, and then around that time the book was had relaunched and it was the dreaded Mackie Burn era. <laughs> so I oh. was just. Uh, and then I fell off at going for UK reprints, which were basically you could get free issues of Spider-Man. It wasn't all necessarily amazing. It was like, uh, because it started off uh, like they were a few years behind, so they would be cheaper. So you get like two pounds fifty, which nowadays is about I don't know, about four four dollars fifty or so. Um, 
you get free Spider-Man books, full life, in colour, but they were just a few years behind. And that started off in the era when the writers would trade off books. So you'd get like an issue of Amazing written by like Tom Falco, and then you'd get an issue of Sensational written by Todd DeZego, which really confused me as a kid. And uh, then you get an issue of uh, Sensational written by J.M. DeMatteis and, you know, stuff like that. So I, that's why I was like, why am I paying like normal price for these monthly books that at the time weren't very good even what with what we're getting now um i think that year of spider-man still my least favorite and i can go back and find out a bit more about this ben riley character and why spider-man is married and it's just exploded from there because we're we're i think we're very lucky as fans these days to live in like the collection era so it, it's it's so easy to just go back and read like certain runs right yeah it's kind of changed how people talk about and approach comics there's no question about yeah. that and comicsology has changed it even more because it's so easy you know just to get old comics or any and literally nearly any comic you want you can just click on a website and go um like you don't you don't know the pain of like going through long boxes looking for that one issue that you're missing or one issue that you're looking for right right but speaking of that one issue you're looking for today we uh were selected to talk about web spinners issues seven through nine the bridge um yes. why did you pick this out i think this is this is one of my favorite spider-man stories and it's one that hardly anyone has ever read this title came out <laughs> around that time that i was starting to pick up uh monthly spider-man books the first time around aka the um mackie burn era and it started off with an exceptional three parts uh Mysterio story written by Jan Tamatas, I was like instantly hooked. Um and then every arc was a different creative team and a different sort of period in Spider-Man's life, mm-hmm. depending on who the writer was. And I just love this story. I think that Peter Parker's prom is such a, a key thing. Like uh, like we don't really have prom here at all. Um and but I know prom is such a big thing in America. And to to think that Stan never did that either with Steve or uh Romita is is really Really, like surprising like he did literally nearly everything else in regards to peter's um like high school story but the prom is like the one major missing point and i think joe kelly who wrote this and this i believe was his first time of many writing spider-man regularly um he um captured the same kind of vibe that untold tales did that you feel it feels retro but not sort of dated uh, and that that was a really key thing that i loved about untold tales of spider-man never i never heard of this <laughs> and uh, i think this 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 free issue arc could almost be like free forgotten stories of untold tales of spider-man you're getting joe kelly instead of uh, kirk busiek Right. Um, there's some weird character stuff in there and a few oddities that um, make this stand out in a different way. So before we talk about it too much, I just want to go through the uh, <laughs> the grind I have to go through on every issue. Yep. So these were released on May through July of 1999, at least according to the, you know, uh, sold by date. Uh <laughs> So Web Spinner 7 of 9, like we said, The Bridge, writer Joe Kelly, penciler Andy Smith, inker Mark Pennington, and then colors by Joe Rosas and Matt Hicks. Um, if you want to find these in physical issues, they go for like a couple bucks. No big deal. Uh, there's a physical trade that's going for around 40 as far as they can find, but it's about 20 digitally. It- 
it creates a Netflix the whole series, I believe. Yeah, that and then a lot the, of gems there. And there's another mini that's kind of like tucked in with that. Like it's a monster trade. It's a double trade. So it's actually, I mean, it's a pretty decent deal. Um, but you can also find these issues on Marvel Unlimited or Comicsology for what you find stuff for on there. Um, it, I'm just curious. Uh, did you said you were able to find these cheap in Ireland? I don't know how comics work uh, well, in Ireland. Well, well, I got these when they came out, but I'm showing my age here. Um, so I got them from an LCS in the town I grew up in, uh, Bangor. Not not the not the one with the scary clowns, another Bangor. Um, okay. And uh, there's an LCS. It wasn't open for very long because comics community here isn't very big or wasn't big at that point uh, i didn't really meet other comic fans before i got regular access to the internet some years later mm-hmm. um so like a comic store was going to struggle back then it's different now because obviously comics are a lot bigger now or have at least enough mainstream attention that a comic shop can get by but like i was just picking up i was picking up uh, amazing by mackie and burn and peter parker spider-man by mackie and jenkins and any other spider-man book that just happened to come out and this was was that that was it that was my jam i just wanted i just was like i want spider-man because i was young and idiot and didn't understand anything um and uh this this book was just i just got it and uh whenever it came out at the time so i got it like back in the day so my my issues are the originals from the original printing all right that's nifty i yeah it's not valuable or anything it's like you say it's not it's not as if it's like the it's like the first appearance of any one major or vital but uh it's just i just love it i just love the bits uh just maybe it, it is nostalgia but i just remember thinking well this, this story is really good and it, it tells such an important part of peter's high school journey that is really his definitive probably his definitive era especially now since the mcu is focusing on that as well yeah um yeah though i mean this obviously predates all that so oh yes by miles yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i have to say i think the weakest part of the story is actually the opening few pages um right. we open in on a series of people washing their face in the mirror obviously in the morning but mm-hmm. because we haven't been introduced to the characters yet i don't know who like i can when i look at it again after having just read it i can tell but coming into a clean um uh andy smith is not such a keen artist that i can look at these faces and know who they are without having them been introduced yet yeah, yeah, I get you. And that's the page as well where Sandman is like, because Sandman's the main villain of this arc. Um, and I, I really like that for reasons we'll go into. But he's like morphing his face, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, genie style. <laughs> to like do like various impressions. Uh, I actually remember thinking that was quite funny. Yeah, I, like during this time, Sandman's main story in Amazing was that he had been re- he'd been reformed, mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't really know a lot about Sandman because he's he's ne- he never appears in the '90s cartoon that I I you know really introduced me to Spider-Man. For whatever reason, he's like the only classic villain not never to appear in that show. So I didn't really know that much about the character, but um, excuse me, um, 
from reading the main books, he had been a good guy, and then the wizard had hit him with, like, a bad gun, literally a gun that turned him evil again. And, and then he was working with, like, the Sinister Six that had Venom on it and stuff like that. So, And then uh, I was also reading John Burns Chapter 1, so that had, that gave me a bit of context to who the character was and what his origin was, uh, although obviously Byrne didn't do it as well as Stan and Steve did. Um, so I... I think in retrospect, this is probably a bit more personality than average than Sandman usually shows. But it, it sort of, I think, sets up the tone well for Joe Kelly's style of writing, which usually hits more on the kind of comedic stuff. Obviously, for anyone that's read his infamous Deadpool run, will know. Yeah, this doesn't feel like that at all to me. This feels like it, more like the Ben 10 Joe Kelly. <laughs> um, I've never seen Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just... Yeah, more family friendly i guess yeah, uh, yeah so i don't know we get some of the high school stuff people are kind of ripping on peter and then we get liz talking to him out of seemingly nowhere about the prom i guess this was the kind of period where they had a weird kind of phase in their relationship where she would kind of flirt with him, but Peter was only vaguely interested because his regular girlfriend is Betty. I, I, it's hard mm-hmm. to tell when exactly this takes place. I, I, it's obviously the graduation issue has, uh, which the, name, the issue number is guessing is the one with the molten man. So it's obviously before that. So he's still with Betty, kind of, sort of, but he's he's having this weird off again, on again, flirty relationship with Liz Allen, mostly just to annoy Flash. So this was the period when she was starting to interact with Peter a bit more after, like, blowing him off for years and years and years. Right. And I'll point out other things as we go, but I don't think this fits squarely with continuity. I believe it's a um it's just kind of taking elements that you kind of remember about that high school era but if you yeah. line everything up it just didn't work also there's a few other notable mm. additions um speaking of which one of them is this uh mr dell who's his science professor who's this oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah. you know big black guy which is all great i mean it's not a big deal it's just he wasn't in the comics ever before any of them and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. He, did, he, didn't, just... he didn't even show up for the reunion in uh, Mark Millar's uh, Marvel Knights issues. Yeah, uh, it's uh, but I mean, as far as being a pretty quick character, we actually get a fair amount of characterization out of him as far as being a teacher and pretty decent. And he's wearing a pizza tie, it looks like. Mm. Maybe it's just polka dots. I don't know. That's just sure he's relatable. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we yeah, get... that, I remember like that. I remember like I'll be honest. I haven't read this for a long time. I'm going purely on memory mm-hmm. uh, because I have. I read this to death because I like there was a time where my entire Spider-Man collection filled two drawers. It does not fill two drawers anymore. So at that point, um, I read this. I've maybe read this like maybe ten times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going from memory, but I know that there was other characters that never kind of are mentioned and seemed to made to be big deals that never appear again, like Peter's rival that's building like the AI or, or sorry, the virtual reality type thing. Mm-hmm. Blake. And yes, that's him. Yeah. And he's never mentioned before. Never and it's like whenever Peter's talking about him, he's like, Oh, I hit that Blake, he's such a dick. Uh, and it's like, who? You know, it's it's not like Busiek also introduced some characters uh that i think had appeared in stan and steve's run but they were like minimally used and they were like background characters like uh, sally uh 
the envelopes uh, and Tiny were like appeared in early Ditko issues and it was always like what happens to these characters and, and, and Busiek does a great job of like telling you this is what happens this is why you never see these characters before since um and so yeah it, it is some hard it's always hard whenever they do one of the story where they go oh here's a here's a character that peter went to high school with that you never heard of before that like uh, uh jms did a story with the charlie weaver story like mm-hmm. that and um her, jessica uh, jones Hunt. yes jessica jones and then well at least ben has kind of explained it by saying well she was in a car accident so she's probably after and then she got a dog her parents died she went to a different school probably afterwards yeah. and he's all he also retrospected uh like i don't know if you i'm sure you read it there was an issue of amazing during the web heads era or the brand new dairy era where him and Joe Quesada did like a backup with Peter talking to Jessica after she rediscovers who he is after the 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 the, the devil the marriage mind wife mm-hmm. and uh they have like a sit-down conversation and he like retrospectively makes one of the background characters in amazing spider-man for jessica like right. one of the girls that's watching the fight between spider-man and sandman which also has referenced in this issue as well mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah I, it's it's funny how they do that sometimes and if you're eagle-eyed looking for it it's there but it's so inconsequential that you yeah. know it's for fun <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, I, I, as we're churning through this and looking through, you know, all these characters that weren't there before, it did stick out to me that um, Blake is working on VR because yeah. that's that so doesn't fit. And I mean, he could have done something else that would have been less, I don't know, so out of the time that it was supposed to be <laughs> i mean i know yeah i know well it's kind of that thing as well whenever they did chapter one and the burglar's motivation that burn gave him was um he wanted to steal peter's computer yeah yeah and it's like no you can listen to dude you can buy like a computer for like, yourself for very very cheap um, um but mm-hmm. yeah that it's, it's just kind of like the um the time i think is just like computers are cool and this is the future and you know um in a way it kind of has become that but it's it is kind of it does date the comics someone of course it doesn't fit in with the this is supposed to be the 60s even though obviously it isn't because they marvel cheats all the time and stuff like that so i can kind of accept it Mm -hmm. yeah i i did read a couple other reviews about this and this was a sore thumb for a number of people so i felt pretty okay yeah yeah. (laughs) picking on it um but yeah uh the reason uh blake's science project with vr gets peter upset is because they're both competing for a grant and peter needs that money to uh look at college and so he feels like he's going to lose out the grant because how can he compete with this high-tech marvel kind of thing from a high schooler when he's doing some you know compound yeah and is like a rich kid he's like hi osborne for osborne a a bit um (laughs) And he, like his daddy, like basically sets him up with the VR thing. It's like he doesn't actually build it. It's like a, there's an unspecified tech term, which again we never heard about before since. Um, in in my in my uh, just now I'm just believe it's Roxon. His dad works for Roxon, and um, he um, so he's like, oh, I, I, you know, I don't like. He doesn't really have to try, and you know, so and he get he becomes a bit irresponsible it, it is one of those stories that peter goes effort and decides to dump all his 
owes some responsibility and becomes a bit more liberal in his choices and it leads to many many bad decisions over the three issues that sort of generate some most of the story it does but it's not completely overboard i guess he's not just ditching everything he's just playing a little looser and looking to have a little fun because he's like well if i lost the grant then i don't need to worry about that if everybody's going to pick be picking on me at school for being uptight i can just loosen up like it's not yeah. i it's kind of crazy. yeah and then there's one that i kind of take issue with so he has this compound he's been working on the sandman's causing stuff and he has reason to think like okay well this compound should basically solidify sandman so that should be fine so he dumps it on him sandman kind of freaks out and whatnot but he's taken care of he is solidified and spider-man swings away and gets back to his life yeah so and then obviously that has major consequences down the line uh this this this, uh, thinking about it back the sandman story um, i mean it's weird in retrospect because it's not really the focus it's kind of just an an add-on the main Mm -hmm. driver of this story is the problem and the fact that peter gets himself in the classic kind of sitcom situation where he the free dates and that's kind of my main thing about whenever i think of this story that's the main thing i think of that he has the free dates I mean, that's the weight of the story. The Sandman thing's in the background, A, so we have a little bit of punching. And that's to get into some of the fights, yeah. But it's also to have another string to pull for this responsibility angle and playing on the moral story. So that three dates thing kind of builds up where um, Peter has accepted Liz's uh, ask to the date. She asks him, though. Yeah. And then we get some tension with just Liz and Flash on the page uh, about that, which is interesting to see because normally we don't get, you know, a pull away from Peter like that. Yeah. And and Liz is just Liz isn't really interested in going to the prom with Peter. She just wants to kiss Flash off. Right. And then Um, here's the scene I don't get. Uh, Peter goes to Betty at the Daily Bugle and asks her out for lunch, basically, and then talks about the prom. And then she basically assumes that he's going to ask her and just kind of it's like, I'm going to the prom. He's just like, "Okay, can't make her mad. But I'm like, (laughs) if you're going with Liz and then you go to see this other girl that you're supposedly dating, but you don't want her to go to the prom and you bring it up, like, what do you think is going to happen? It's it's not even like a lack of responsibility. It's like such a weird gaffe. It's totally like a bad sitcom or something to me. Yeah, no, I get yeah. Um, the thing, the thing is that this was again the era where Betty and Liz were in the love triangle that never really worked because Liz was never really interested in Peter. And, you know that they perfected mm-hmm. kind of this love triangle thing with uh, Peter, MJ, and Gwen, obviously. Um, but th- this was like this did it first, and but I think it didn't work because Liz was never really interested in Peter really, and then Betty never really felt like a proper girlfriend to Peter. He was like kind of like the equivalent of of the person on the playground who you just hang out with sometimes, and you go, oh, you're my girlfriend or you're my boyfriend or whatever. Um, <laughs> Um, I don't think it ever shows them like kissing or anything on like in the Stan and Steve run. And I know that wasn't like maybe a thing. You didn't kiss. You didn't kiss your girlfriend back in the sixties. Um, well, so not if you're Steve Dicko. Oh, if you're Steve. So you're um, you, 
there's this awkward relationship there. So I think it kind of it kind of works for me in that in that regards. And yeah, I think in if memory serves me, Betty is really eager to go to the prom where she she thinks of herself a lot older than the kids. Say Peter, Peter, what what age do you graduate at in uh, in America? Is it sixteen or seventeen? Yeah, around there. Yeah. So she's she's not. I think that maybe she's like what nineteen or twenty. She can't be that much older. Otherwise, it's just a bit creepy. Um, but she thinks of her, she's like thinking of herself like she's this like forty year old woman that's taking this kid to the prom. Uh, but she's mm-hmm. initially wants to go, but she didn't get her own prom because she was taking care of her mother, which ties into um, like some of the alien stuff with Betty, where she loses her mind because her, her mom dies, but she still like talks to her, and um, that's a whole thing. So there is. There is like little things here and there which does tie into like the larger kind of story that is told before and after. There, it's not quite as as perfect and organized as uh, Untold is, but I think there's enough there that you can get it out. You can get, you know. Oh yeah, um, it's it's a weird dynamic, and I've never really loved the whole Betty Peter thing, so I just kind of slid by. Um, We do get a few quick bits of Sandman not having a good time. (laughs) Yeah, he's like falling, basically whatever Peter has made, and it's never really that specified, because, you know, it's it's written by a writer who doesn't know the science, and that's a common thing anyway, it's not that Stan was an expert either. Mm -hmm. Um, He was just like, scammer you know, or whatever. It's, I don't know. Either way. Um, the third date is Mary Jane, who Aunt May kind of forces on him. Because uh, at this point, he hasn't he hasn't met her yet. She's still the mysterious niece, next, niece of the girl, woman next door, and he thinks that she's some repulsive beast. Ha 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 ha. Um, like it's it's like a joke that takes like what, thirty issues to, to pay off. Um, so that that's his conundrum is he's basically agreed to take Liz uh, through, and the, I think Liz is really the only one that he actively decides to do. Betty basically invites herself, and Aunt May invites Mary Jane. So now he has to be in three three days at once, but also the Sandman is causing havoc in the city because he's out of control and losing his mind a little bit because he's like destabilizing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have the three so we have the three dates set up. We have the Sandman on the loose. We have Peter having a lot of tension with Flash, though I haven't talked about Beezy's taking Liz to the prom. But Flash is uh <laughs> he's stretching himself, but we, we kind of see later that Peter feels sorry for him, and this is another thing that messes with continuity, is that Peter sees Flash's dad abusing Flash, feels sorry for him, and yeah. tries to yeah, not get into a fight with him that he agreed to. Um, well, I remember that that was a J.M. Damatez idea, that Flash's dad was abusive. Um, with during like, I remember during Flashback month. His Spider-Man book, which I think was like spectacular or sensational, his was about Flash, and and it was all about that kind of family dynamic. So this is way after that. This is this was published way after that. It was like mid to late nineties, and this was a good bit after that. So it, it and the the whole thing with Flash's dad being an alcoholic and and and, and a sort of abusing figure also played into that kind of same era where Flash was Norman Osborn's like um, 
assistant. Mm -hmm. And it was a way of explaining how Flash was such a dick in high school, but became one of Peter's best friends when he joined the army and got more focused. And it was basically, and we're even seeing a continuation of Flash's group grow today in Venom. Uh, so again, I think it fits. Uh, what what is it about the, that scene that sort of sticks out to you? So you know this this doesn't work. I it's not that that scene didn't work. It's that it's just not in continuity. Um, which is fine for this story. It just wasn't in continuity because Peter wouldn't have known about that yet. He can almost say stuff though that you can they can find that he can find that out. There's nothing that sort of disproves that he didn't know. I I guess it just doesn't. If he did, that makes the way he treats him in some later stuff, especially right before Flash goes off to war, like even yeah, so, yeah, yeah. weirder in a way that it, like would put Peter Parker in a very different light. But um, I don't know. Um, but it, it's pretty good overall and then we kind of get the churn of the book um when okay so we resolve the one of the three dates when mary jane refuses to show like you said um and then we get another churn when mr dell talks to peter again about the grant and how he was just talking to the other students in different ways and how he motivates them but he actually feels peter's one of the most you know promising students and actually makes him feel good about being a teacher basically which was i think more than you're supposed to tell a kid uh yeah and that was a really tight, interesting scene, which was then uh, pretty quickly followed by this fight that's supposed to happen right before the prom in which everything falls apart for Peter Parker, where he's dealing with Flash, saving him. Uh, he, he basically cancels on Liz and then Betty finds out. And so he's just SOL. <laughs> And he's not too mad about it. No, no. Uh, she like leaves in the note and calls him like. Well, I think it's like I think someone tells her he shows. She shows up and then she feels out of place because again she's sort of thinking like, oh, I'm so much older than all these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then someone tells her that he was. Oh, it was it was the guy that was built with the VR. Um, tells her uh, that oh, Peter's actually coming with Liz and he. She like leaves him a note. And calls him an idiot. And it was just, I think it's just one of those, again, one of those things that does, it does seem a bit weird, but it kind of fits the story, the main story at the time for me, because, like, Betty did have this thing, like, whenever, like, Peter would so much as look at Liz, she was like, you're so lovely. Um, but she would always forgive him. It was, a, it was, again, in retrospect, looking back, it was a really unhealthy relationship that never really was a proper relationship. Uh, and I think that kind of fits that. Um, it's interesting that you think that, obviously, it was, it was retconned or revealed later that Mary Jane knew Peter was Spider-Man at this time. Yes. Around this time. And so she just doesn't go... I, I think it's probably just a tie in her arc at the time of being not wanting to deal with her own reality, I guess. And, and if there's a there's a great issue of until to the Spider Man focusing on Mary Jane and how she sees like someone in Peter that's also hiding from the world more literally than she is. And I guess this is a, a, an extension of that that she doesn't want to date this guy who has all these secrets. Yeah, that's a good read. I hadn't even considered it. I just figured it was, you know, a fun play. She thinks he's a chut too. 
you know. Yeah, well, he is. He is being a bit of a dick, and Peter can be a bit of a dick. He's not always a saint. Oh, he um, rarely is. I I do like, just like the little things. I like that they sort of Sandman's motivation here is a continuation of him wanting to get his high school diploma, which was the whole reason he attacked the high school. This whole thing suits Kelly's kind of comedic tone that he usually goes for, and I do think it fits well. In um, but also I do love that scene with the suit. It's Uncle Ben's suit, and and uh, like Aunt May's like, oh, you want to then be why he would react, and Peter's like saying, oh, you know, he'd be on the floor laughing, and I love that scene because that fits in with high. Paul Jenkins, who was jumping around, jumping on Peter Parker around this time, and he sort of established Peter and Uncle Ben's relationship as a pair of, of tricksters who constantly mm-hmm. just negged each other. And I just, I love that kind of dynamic between the two because it gives Uncle Ben a bit more personality than just the, the sage old man that he's constantly um, cast as. That he is that this is that Uncle Ben is where Peter gets his humor from and his mischievous more of his mischievous tendencies as Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And I think that small scene is great for that reason. And again, I, that's what I was saying. Uh, Sandman, I like that he's used here as an extension of the storyline in Amazing Spider-Man 4, where his whole reason for going to the high school is he wants his high school diploma. So he is continuing on that kind of, I never got that diploma, you know, type of mindset. Because that's obviously a thing that's never, because it's pretty random in retrospect, but it's just, you know, that's just the, the kind of thing that happened in the, the Silver Age of a villain who trip to high school and demand a diploma. You know, I'm sure Dr. Doom did it all the time in Latveria. Right. <laughs> I think it just, I just think it fits that era so well because it is a bit janky in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's more goofy and fun than. Yeah. About, I don't know, what a later issue might worry about. I know what you mean. Yeah. But I, I thought Kelly did a great job here, really. I mean, this is his first time, apart from the infamous Deadpool time travel issue, this is his first time writing Spider-Man and Spider-Man characters, if that if that time travel issue even counts, because it's so pretty. Um, and obviously it's not the, the last time he'll come to the book. In fact, he's just come back to the character in these days. Um, but... Um, no, I, I, I just have a lot of this nostalgia and, and love for this story. Again, I, I read it so much back in the day, back when my um, Spider-Man collection was very, very minimal. But I, you know, I get where you're coming from, coming with it with more modern eyes. It probably doesn't age very well. I think also I was maybe grading it up a level because the main Spider-Man books were, well, again, before Paul Jenkins came along, were so, so bad. We think we uh, we talked a little bit before we started, like, hey, it's a bit rough now. It was nothing. I would take Spencer's run in a heartbeat compared to what we were, went through during that period, you know. So I maybe, maybe, up, I, I think of it more highly in my mind due to nostalgia and also um, because of how he, it was in comparison to the main Spider-Man books at the time. Well, yeah, there's another thing in this story that kind of hit me odd, which is Spider-Man throws that weird epoxy on Sandman, and it has a negative effect that he didn't necessarily know about. But it's like, well, I didn't have a chance to test it. I'm like, "Ah, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't pass the sniff test. There's no way for you to test that beforehand. And then the second he saw negative effects, he worked around and made something happen to fix the problem. But yeah. I mean, like, blaming yourself for finding a way to stop Sandman is like, well, he's a super criminal who can turn into 
sand and yeah. you found a way to deal with him that wasn't sucking him up in a vacuum cleaner. It went a little hard. <laughs> and then you fix the problem. And then the second you do, he bonks you on the head. Like, I, there's something there that was like, I don't know if there's any real lesson about responsibility there or anything like that. It was yeah. just a kind of a. <laughs> Well, just that basically, I think if memory goes that if it seems that Sandman's going to die, or like his personality is going to fade to the point where he might as well be dead, and right. Peter's like, well, I can't be responsible for that, you know. So he whips up like a cure. It's always it's always nice to see. So we don't get a lot of Peter the Scientist. We got a lot of Peter the Scientist in Dan Slot's run, but a lot of writers don't. It's don't use that aspect of the character, um, which I think is a shame. And it's nice to see snippets of it here, even maybe if the the science doesn't quite work. Well, and this also feels like an interesting level of science as opposed to like just making him, uh, you know, like suddenly a super genius that can do stuff. It's like, oh, I have this weird chemical that should work. Oh, unforeseen consequences. Then I have to adapt and work with that. I'm like, that seems to fit a lot better as opposed to just making yeah. this magical mind in the Marvel universe. It's like he's smart, yeah. but he's not he's not a rank he's genius that kind of stuff out. No. No, he's not Reed Richards. He's very talented. Even uh, in the past, Reed has uh, pointed that out, but he's not uh, super genius on that level. But this maybe uh, yeah, is more in character that he's kind of Phil Parker luck comes to bite him in the sort of scientific method that he's using here because he's not really, again, he's not tested it. He just decides to go for it because, again, because of the whole attitude he's having. He's just like, ah, who cares about consequences? No one else does, so this is fine. Thinking back on it, Sandman, I mean, I, I get that you have to have a villain to fight because, again, I think otherwise you just have a drama and this could probably be a one-shot otherwise or maybe even an oversized one-shot. The prom, uh, where he just deals with Flash in his three dates so Sam manages to extend the story and to give Spider-Man some action scenes but it doesn't quite fit with everyone else but I can't really think of another that would have fit that was sort of established around this time. Again, Sandman's previous connection to the high school kind of makes it the easiest way to bring him in. It's a good pick. It's just, I don't know, it's a lot of elements going on at once. and Yeah, he, there's a lot of balls being juggled in the air during during this, this relatively short story. Um, and maybe, maybe it needed more space or maybe it had too much space. I mean, I, I think it's paced right and all that. It's just uh, yeah. I, certain things move quick because I don't think there's a lot more to add to them. It's, yeah. Well, I think, if, again, if memory serves, it's like the whole final battle of Sandman where he, like, fixes him. is like, happens, like, all, like, you see it just on a TV screen. You don't see, like, a final climax to that. You just see him working on the cure, and then he, like, on the TV screen, throws the vial of Sandman, and Sandman's suddenly fine again. I mean, we've kind of talked it through, talked about the conclusion, I guess. Did you have any other, like, concluding? Uh, no, I just, I do think that this run of Web Spinners is worth cracking down, because there's a brilliant Jim Demetrius Mysterio story at the beginning. Mm-hmm. There's a brilliant Paul Jenkins chameleon story where he went over it uh, with uh, early work from who is it that Brubaker always works with these days on the like criminal and stuff? Sean Phillips. Mm-hmm. Early Sean Phillips work uh, on that arc 
which is really, really good. And I can't remember what other. There are a few other. I think those are probably my favorites of this. So I, I would recommend, you know, tracking this down for anyone that hasn't read this run, especially if they're not maybe enjoying what's going on in the book in the, at the moment. It brings you to another time and various aspects of it. Tom, Tom DeFalco did a run or an arc in this and it was set during his first Amazing Spider-Man run with Silver Sable so you get to visit these different eras of Spider-Man which is pretty cool yeah definitely in the J.M. David Tess arc it's more the college era it would be interesting thing about that one I don't know if you read that one the, uh, the first three of this um, run Oh, yeah, I mean, I've read them upon a day. Um, like, it's interesting, that arc, that you get commentary from Peter in the present, looking back and sort of mm-hmm. going away, well, I didn't really look at my friends like this or Gwen like this, or I didn't notice that Harry needed help, or, you know, I was a bit of a dick. You know? So I, I think that retrospective makes that story so much better, and maybe that's what this is missing. Yeah, I feel like that would have been a good way to kind of tie the series together, is, you know, allow allow them to go through different eras of spider-man but have this retrospective hook that gives it a kind of continuity and fun that allows more commentary on those eras and maybe ties together disparate parts of spider-man the errors as like memory because i always like that's what i always excuse is about you know, i love spider-man blue because oh, okay. mostly because I, I think it's a great love story um uh, but also tim sale drawing spider-man yes please um why didn't that happen more the um there's like obviously in that miniseries which covers like amazing spider-man in somewhere in the 30s but the order's all wrong and i just the, the main narrative is peter dictating them his memories into a phone where he's uh, sorry into like a recorder where he's leaving a message for gwen mm-hmm. who's obviously long gone uh in the attic and to me any errors in how stuff happens or the order stuff happens is just i just chalk it up to peter's bad memory because he's telling a story so at least then if you had that overall kind of theme in this book of Peter's telling stories you could chalk any continuity errors of Peter just doesn't remember or he's misremembering or he's making up a teacher that was nice to him he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't meant to because this, this teacher could have easily been like Miles Warren or something and there wouldn't really have been a, uh, or like Mr. Warren sorry the, the what was it, the cousin or the brother of Miles he could have been any of the teachers that Stan or Steve used infrequently oh yeah I mean definitely um, it doesn't really probably, matter no, it doesn't matter. But he could have, so any like characters we've never met before says, oh, it could have been explained in Irish. Oh, I never really thought about him for years because he never attended, you know, with the, the guys. He never attended school because he had a job with his dad and blah, 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 you know. Um, so I, I maybe have never mentioned him or thought about him much before, blah, blah, blah. Um, so the, the, that's a way to kind of maybe fill in some of the gaps that, you know, have been pointed out, but that's obviously not the way they went through the series for some reason. It's a bit of a random series in retrospect because they, they sort of have a theme of retro Spider-Man stories and that can range from this, the high school era, to um, the DeFalco era, but then like the, la- the, the, the Jenkins story, which I think is the last of Chameleon, is like set in the present. Mm-hmm. So it kind of loses a bit of its identity. It's a bit weird. Maybe it's just how it was the type of Spider-Man titles were edited at the time. I'm assuming this was Ralph, under Ralph Matthews' um, watch. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Web Spinners was really a tight idea as much as like, oh, we need another Spider-Man book and yeah. we'll just have it quick must- arcs and whatever they want. 
Tangled Web was probably a, a bit more uh, the idea protected a little bit that you're getting Spider-Man stories from other people's perspective and then done by unconventional talents, whereas this was more familiar talents uh, being brought in to tell retrospective Spider-Man stories. Yeah, I think that sums that up pretty well. Um... Yeah. So I need to slap this on the list. Um, our first entry in our tribute to teenagers is You Can Go Home Again, Web of 35. I think that Web of 35 is a hair stronger. And I actually think this story is maybe a little more comparable to Death Waits in the Lightmaster's Lair, uh, Peter Parker's <laughs> Spider-Man 19 and 20, uh, uh. with the Lightmaster and kind of tipping on the origins of uh, Carrion and all that. So I think I'm just going to slip this one just a hair under that one, which puts it all right, yeah, yeah. right there in the list. And it's, uh, it's on there. I mean, Web Spinners is just such a weird one to look at, trying to recommend it compared to. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? No, I get you. I get you. It's it's again. It's one of the and they've only reprinted it because it's going to go in Europe. Everything gets reprinted, and it's just like here's some more. Literally, here's some more Spider-Man because like Spider-Man, but. I think this would be a book that would be weird to pick up if you were new to Spider-Man um, because, it, it, again, it jumps around in the timeline so much and the tone is a bit all over the place and it, and it lacks some focus. Again, I think with Tang- Tangled Web kind of gets away with it because of the talent involved and there's the appeal of you get people on Spider-Man that have never been on Spider-Man before or since. Right. Um, whereas here, you're getting kind of both the all-time greats and then people who would go on to write Spider-Man again, like Joe Kelly, who came back during the uh, Webhead era and then, of course, is writing them non-stop. Yeah, and it's had some sporadic connections. Yeah, but, and then, of course, he, he also wrote just one up. Any last uh, little thoughts? or? No, I think we've pretty much covered us. Thank you very much for having me on. I would love to come back at some time. Yeah, and um, <laughs> where can people find you now? Um, people can find me uh, on Twitter at Glenn underscore Matchett. That's Glenn with two M's, and Matchett is spelled like Hatchet, but with an M. <laughs> uh, you can also find my blog at Glenn's Rumblings. If you Google it, it should come up. And you can listen to my podcast, Rabbits Do Comics, which is available wherever your favorite podcasts are, including this one. And you can probably, if you um, burrow through some dime store boxes in your comic book store, you might find some of my very, 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 very 10 hours later, very small press comics. That's there you go rock on um yeah and always you can find us at untold talks spmn on twitter and we want to you know say a special thanks to ellie badge for the theme song and until glenn takes me on the prom with two other pretty girls make mine untold <laughs> thank you very much for having me again oh yeah no problem